Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Fake News. Covering lies we believe. I'm your host, Dewey Sprinkles. In a substantial number of passive-aggressive tweets and Instagram photos of the beach, it's been discovered that apparently and allegedly, time heals all wounds. With that being the case, I should be over the time I got rejected at my middle school dance. Or the time I vomited on my secret crush in a fifth grade graduation. <laughs> no, nope. I'm still scarred for life. In the new book release, Get Over It, your guide to overcoming life's most difficult letdowns, the author Andy Soval gives real life examples and the appropriate time it should take before we get over it. Let's see here, let's go over the list here of what's in there. Here's a good one. Wife throws away your favorite pair of Ninja Turtle socks that you had in the 12th grade and never washed. Two to three months of passive aggressive comments. Hmm. Mm. Let's just update that to five years. Hmm. Oh, here's another one. The time that your dad flushed your goldfish down the toilet. Mourn forever? Well, I did eat sushi last night, so let's just scratch that one off the list. I don't think so. So the question remains, does time heal all wounds? <laughs> no! <laughs> Only God can do that. Join us next time as we discuss whether or not to pray over appetizers, or if they count as pre-blessed food. Until next time, I'm your host, Dewey Sprinkles. This is Fake News. Lies. We believe. Good stuff, huh? Big kudos to Curry Morris, our videographer, and Hal and those guys that put those things together. It's good stuff. Fake news is kind of in the conversation these days, isn't it? I mean, it's just it's amazing to me. You know, your mind immediately goes to, to politics and that kind of stuff. But the simple truth is you go to Fox News and then switch over to CNN and then switch over to MSNBC and then to NBC, and you're wondering, are we even listening to the same news event? Because they're all saying completely different things. And so we go to Facebook for our news. Yeah, that's a good, reliable source. Let's do that. And, you know, after a while, you find yourself going, I, just, I don't know what to believe anymore. I've gotten to where I hardly watch the news because I just just get frustrated with, I don't know what is really going on. Here's the problem, is that that's not just true in current events. That's true in culture. That's been a part of our culture for a very long time. And, and this idea that there are slogans and phrases and ideas that get repeated and repeated over and over again until we just kind of accept them into the fabric of our society, whatever stopping and saying, is that true? I mean, is that, is that really true, that saying? I mean, and before you know it, we find out that they start to, uh, to influence our own way of thinking, again, without ever really challenging them, even though they are, in fact, counterfeit truths, or let's be blunt about it, they are lies that we ultimately believe. And so that's why we're in a series this summer that we're calling Fake News, Lies We Believe, and we're challenging some of those things because here's what happens. It is that eventually those ideas, those concepts become a part of our worldview. Now, I realize for some of you this idea of a worldview uh, is not a common everyday occurrence, 
Uh, so let's make sure we're together on it. We've got a definition. We introduced it last week. We'll look at it again. Here it is on the screen. So let's read it together. One, two, three, go. A worldview is the overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world, a collection of beliefs about life in the universe held by an individual or group. Again, think about that definition for a minute. Whether you've ever talked about your worldview or not, you have one. You have a perspective on the world. You have a collection of ideas and beliefs through which you filter everything else. I mean, right now, you're filtering what I'm saying through your worldview and saying, does that make sense? Is that it's true? Now, here's the problem. When counterfeit beliefs work their way into our worldview, we just set ourselves up for problems. We just set ourselves up for missing out on uh, the blessings and the benefits that God has. So here's what I've seen as a pastor for many years now. Uh, people come to Christ. They give their lives to Christ. They get a fresh start. We call it getting a new life around here. They get a brand new life in Christ. But because they don't challenge the old worldview, they never get the abundant life that Jesus promised. And they find themselves going, what, what's the deal here? All these other people, these Christians, there, they seem to be getting the abundant life. They seem to be getting fulfillment. Why? Am I not? Because what you got was fire insurance. What you got was a relationship with Jesus. But you've got to challenge your way of thinking. You've got to challenge your worldview if you're really going to find the abundant life that he promised for you. And so that's what we're doing. Week by week, simply pulling out some of those common phrases, challenging them, asking ourselves the question, is that true or not? And if it's not, what am I going to do about it? What is the honest truth. Today, we're taking an honest look at the expression, time heals all wounds. So, let's just get into it. How many of you will agree with me that we are a pain-conscious society these days? Anybody agree with that statement? Just turn the TV on. I mean, just a commercial after commercial about some kind of pain med. Uh, researchers are out there constantly coming up with brand new formulas. So we went from aspirin to Tylenol to Advil to ibuprofen to naproxen, and now oxycodone is the thing. You know, there's an epidemic sometimes of, of uh, opioid abuse out there. Pain clinics didn't even exist a dozen years ago. I mean, so there's this whole new thing in society about pain that's become a big deal for us. I mean, it seems to me like people are walking around with headaches all the time. I wrote that line in preparation for the message, and, and the minute I wrote it, I thought of a, an event from my own life, from my, our youngest son, Zach, when he was a little boy, had been outside playing all day, and, and, uh, and when he came in late in the afternoon, uh, he said to his mom, he said, you know, my stomach really aches. And she said, well, no wonder you haven't eaten all day. Your stomach is empty. A few minutes later, I walked into the house and I said, Kim, I don't know, I may need to take something because my head really aches. And Zach said immediately, well, mom says that's because it's empty. <laughs> I don't know what it is, if your pain is real or perceived, whether it's emotional or relational or physical or whatever it happens to be, but the reality is pain is part of life. Can I get an amen in the house? I always love to start with the universal amens in my messages. We'll see where we go from here. The problem is, not is there pain, of course there is. The, the question is, what do you believe about pain? What does your worldview say about the reality of pain? Now keep in mind, beliefs produce behaviors, and behaviors always have consequences. So here's what I want you to get from the outside of the message, okay? You, whether you get into the particulars or not, I want you to get this in your own worldview. If I believe uh, that time heals all wounds, that's going to lead me to believing, well, then if I ignore it until it goes away, 
I won't have to feel it. Does that make sense? And if I believe that time heals all wounds and I ignore it, but it hurts, then I must do something to anesthetize myself so I won't feel it. And so before you know it, again, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, whatever kind of pain it is, before you know it, you, you are trying to escape the pain because you somehow believe that if you escape it long enough, it will go away, and it simply isn't true. Now, don't go home and say, Pastor Jim said something he didn't say. I didn't say if you have surgery, don't take pain meds. That's not what I said because there are times when there is pain that will, in fact, go away as healing takes place. But when it comes to emotional pain and spiritual pain and, and relational pain, hoping it will get better one day, ignoring it or burying it or escaping from it or covering it with self-medication until it goes away simply doesn't work. And here's the reality. I've watched an awful lot of people for an awful lot of years that spent years and years trying to avoid pain until they finally wake up realizing hiding from it, running from it doesn't work. So in the few minutes we have today, I want us to talk about the truth. Dr. Scott Peck, who's a psychologist and an author, uh, most famous for his book, The Road Less Traveled, said this, fearing pain, almost all of us, to a greater or lesser degree, attempt to avoid problems. We procrastinate, hoping they will go away. We ignore them, pretending they don't exist. We attempt to get out of them rather than suffer through them. This tendency to avoid problems and the emotional pain inherent in it is the, quote, primary basis of human mental illness. What's he saying? Don't try to ignore your pain. It won't just go away. Time doesn't heal all wounds. It just makes it worse when you try to ignore it. You with me? So what's the truth? What is the truth? If, if time heals all wounds is the counterfeit, which means there's some little truth in there, but it's not all truth, then what is the whole truth? It's found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 9. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. To what? What's his purpose? What does it say? You didn't think I was going to do all the talking, did you? To be conformed, read it out loud, to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that say? It says that healing does take time, but it also requires us cooperating with his process of helping us to become like his son. So anybody here already just like Jesus? Anybody here arrived? Well, then I guess we all need this topic, don't we? Because we all got room to grow. We all got a ways to go. So healing takes time and cooperation with God in the way he uses pain. And that's what I want us to lean into this morning. How does God use pain as a tool? He doesn't cause it, doesn't have to cause it. We live in a sin-cursed world. Choices have consequences, and sometimes you make the choices that lead to consequences. Sometimes somebody else makes the choices, and you get caught in their consequences. But pain is a reality in this world, so God does this next best thing from taking free will away. He uses that for good in our lives. Hear me. God never wastes a hurt. Say that again. God never wastes a hurt. He uses it for good in our lives to help us become more like Christ. But here's the problem. If you wait until you're hurting to challenge your worldview, you won't. 
because in the middle of the pain, you're going, God, I don't understand. Why are you doing this? This hurts so bad. Don't you love me? I mean, that's human. We all go through that. We all have to deal with that. So you have to find those times when you're not in intense pain to decide, I know what the truth is. The truth is not time heals all wounds. The truth is it takes time for wounds to heal, and God wants to work that into a pattern for good in your life if you will cooperate with him. That, Jesus knew that. That's why he told his disciples in John 13, 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later, what did he say? Later you will understand. Pastor Jim paraphrase, hindsight's twenty twenty. Sometimes you've got to look back on it, to say, oh, now I see what God was doing. Now I see how God worked that into the pattern for good. But while I was going through it, it's, it's tough. So here's what I want you to hear. If you don't develop a biblical worldview on this subject, pain becomes harder to endure and you miss out on the development that God wants to use it for in your life. So that's what I want to spend a few minutes talking about is how does God use pain in our lives? And as I do, as we talk about these things, I want you to just make a decision with me here and now. I believe the truth. The truth is time, uh, it takes time for wounds to heal, but I have to cooperate with God to get out of that pain what he wants for me. I choose to believe the truth no matter how I feel. I choose to believe the truth no matter how I feel. Can I say that one more time? I choose to believe the truth no matter how I feel. There are five ways that I find in Scripture and quite frankly have found in my life that God uses pain to help us become more like Christ. Let's walk through them, okay? The first way that I've seen and the most common way is that God uses pain to get me moving. Have you ever seen that? fact is there are very few things that get us moving like pain does. Am I right? Ask any dentist. I had a dentist tell me one time, most people don't come to see me until the pain of the tooth exceeds the fear of the drill. <laughs> Is that true? That's just the way it works. Proverbs 20, 30, and the NIV says, blows and wounds scrub away evil and beatings purge the inmost being. I don't know if you get that or not. I love the good news paraphrase of it. It says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Can I get an amen in the house? I heard one people say it this way, some people change when they see the light, but most people change when they feel the heat. <laughs> and sometimes the heat's got to get hot before we move, before we do something about it. So hear me, God has this amazing way of using pain to motivate us to actually get up and get moving. There's so many examples of this in Scripture, but probably the, 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 the best known, the most classic one is the story of the prodigal son who went to his father and wanted his share of the inheritance early, and he took it, and he squandered it and wasted it, and then he found himself in trouble. Luke 15, uh, verse 14. After he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all throughout the country, and it began to hurt. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmland hands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. In other words, hunger. It took hunger to finally motivate him to swallow his pride and go home. It took that pain for him to say, I'm going to get up and get moving. So my question to you, you don't have to respond. You can sit real still, but is anybody hungry 
here today. And I ain't talking about hurry up and get to the restaurant kind of hungry. I'm talking about the hunger that says, I don't want to just live in my comfort zone. I want to move toward whatever God has for me. I want to move in the direction that he's designed for me. You, again, can change when you see the light or you can wait till you feel the heat. But hear me, guys. God loves you too much for you to stay the way you are. He loves you enough to challenge you. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you enough to challenge you to become better, to become more like his son. And quite often, it takes pain to get us moving. You ready for the second one? God sometimes uses pain to direct me. He uses drain, uh, pain to get me moving, and sometimes he, we're, we're moving. We're just moving in the wrong direction, and nothing else gets us moving in the right one. Psalm 119, verse 71 and 2. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might, what? Learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me now than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. Because I went through this pain, David said, because I faced this pain, it forced me to, to get, take an honest look at who God is and what it means to have a relationship with him. And now I've learned who you are, and I value that more than all the wealth that I have in the bank. Sometimes, simply put, pain is a teaching tool. Fact is, every storm is designed to be a school. Every experience is intended to be an education. Every trial is a potential turning point in your life where God will say, I want to help you to become better, to become more. And so I'm going to use this experience and I'm going to use it to direct you. So, so let me ask, has God ever gotten your attention through pain? Hello? C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures he shouts at us in our pain. He called it God's megaphone. Whoa, 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 whoa wait. I, I thought God was a loving heavenly father, and now you're, you're sounding make like a, a, he sounds like a cosmic buzzkill or something. What, what's up with this? Well, understand what's going on. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Let God, what does it say? Let God train you, for he's doing what? Any loving father does for his children. Who ever heard of a child who was never corrected? How many of your parents? Can I see your hands? How many of your parents? God bless that hand. God bless that hand. God bless you. God bless you. How many of you uh, really would rather not ever have to discipline your children again? Can I see your hands? All right, those of you that raised it the first time and didn't raise it the second time, we have counseling available. We'd be glad to talk with you afterwards, because if you look forward to disciplining your kids, there might be an issue. Okay, we're just saying there might be an issue. Okay? fact of the is, we don't. We don't want to discipline our kids, so why do we? Because we love them, that's why. Because we want them not to grow up neurotic brats. We want them to grow up healthy and strong and productive and, you know, part of society. We want them to be uh, emotionally healthy, and so we discipline them because we love them. Well, God's the same. He's the perfect heavenly father. He's not mean. He's not vengeful. Everything he does comes out of his love for us. And often discipline is simply his way of redirecting our ways. Let me explain it this way. In fact, you can tweet this if you want to, or Facebook it, or however you go to social media. Um, in my experience, the greatest dreams of our lives often come out of the deepest hurts of our lives. Does that ring true for you? 
I, I mentioned last week that, um, that God put in my heart 35 years ago or more uh, to plant 100 churches in my lifetime. And a lot of my decisions since that day have been made based on that simple truth, that, that, that God wants me to plant 100 churches. But not just churches, a particular kind of church. Anybody, anybody know where that dream came from? It came out of pain. I was, I was pastoring a small traditional church here in eastern North Carolina. I won't mention the name. Some of you might be familiar with it, and I wouldn't hurt those folks or anything in the world. But, but I was pastoring a small church back in the 70s, and uh, I recognized after a year and a half, almost two years, that no one had gotten saved in our church in that length of time. None. Nobody had come to Christ. And it broke my heart. And I began to weep and agonize before the Lord. Lord, you didn't put me on this planet just to preach sermons and, you know, count cash chairs and cars. There's got to be more to this than this. There's got to be, we've got to be emptying hell and populating heaven. There's got to be more going on than this. And he showed me a harvest that was around me that, quite frankly, I'd never, never even seen before. Some of you know eastern North Carolina, and you know that in the 70s, there were thousands, literally thousands of migrant workers that came into the area at harvest time, and they would be here for two months or three months, and then they'd move on to the next state where there was another harvest, and, and they would move in and move on. And, and, and residents loved to complain about the migrant workers and the sin that was in those migrant camps and, and how those people need Jesus. And, and so here I am trying to pastor this little church right in the middle of the sea of harvest that needed to be gathered. And I said, that's it. God, you've called me to, to reach the migrant workers. And so I went to a local uh, produce sheds, and I got permission to use their place on a Sunday morning. I got a guy that spoke Spanish who would translate translate for me, got some guys that spoke enough Spanish they could lead music in Spanish, and so we decided, okay, we're going to start a, a Spanish service in a produce shed early on Sunday mornings, and, uh, and we're going to reach the migrant workers. W what I didn't do was to think to bring my deacons along on the journey. So when I went to them, I said, oh, by the way, guys, uh, two Sundays from now, uh, I'm going to be starting a uh, a, a, a service for the migrant workers in such and such produce sheds and uh, just want to let you know what's going on. And one of the deacons said, you can't do that. And I said, well, yeah, uh, yeah, I can. I, got, I already got permission from the produce shed owner and, and I got musicians and translators and yeah, it's, it's going to be fine. No, no, you'll, you'll be too tired to minister to us. And I said, um, you know, I'm, I'm in my 20s. I'm in naively believing that this guy's sincere, and I'm going, oh, I'm in my 20s. I got plenty of energy. I'm in my 60s. I still have plenty of energy. But anyway, at that time, it's like I got plenty of energy. Everyone, you know, it's at 8 o'clock. I'll be done by 9. Well, you'll be too tired. You won't get here in time for, for 10 o'clock for the Sunday school. I said, yeah, I'll be fine, man. Let's finish that at 9.30, get here by 10 o'clock. Never miss a beat. No, no, you can't do that. And he finally just said, you can't do that. We pay your salary to minister to us. And the other deacons went along with it. And I said, well, then what do I do with this burden that God's given me? I just, I've got to do something. He said, well, invite him here. Oh, okay. So I started inviting them there. Anybody want to guess how they were treated when they got there? I came out of that. It's still painful to talk about, quite frankly. I came out of that stunned, shocked amazed, and here's what God dropped into my spirit. There are churches who are stuck in ruts, and they have forgotten that the church does not exist 
for the people who are already in it. I brought the church into existence for the sake of people who's still out there desperately needing Jesus. Hear me, guys, sitting in this room, watching online. There are only two things that you can do on earth that you can't do in heaven. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and he's left you here, there must be at least one of those two things he wants you to do. What are those two things you ask? Glad you asked, I'll tell you. It, share your faith with people that don't know Jesus yet, right? And sin, because there'll be no sin there. Which one of those two things do you think he's left you here to do? Which one of those two things do you do the most? Just asking, just asking. But out of that anguish, out of that pain, God said, we need some new churches or existing churches that will catch a new dream and begin to realize and remember that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And yes, we're going to minister to the congregations. And yes, we're going to take care of the needs of the flock. And yes, we're going to do things that bless the family. But at the end of the day, we don't exist for us. We exist for the sake of those who desperately need Jesus. And out of that came this vision to plant 100 churches who get it, who get it. Praise God. And I'm thrilled. I, I'm thrilled beyond words to have the privilege to lead you and to lead us because we're a church that gets it, who understands that, yes, we're here to get our needs met, but beyond that, it's just to build us up so we can reach out more to more and more people. God sometimes uses pain to get us moving. He often uses pain to redirect us from pain to ministry. The third way that God uses pain is sometimes he uses pain to reveal my character, to show me my character, to show me who I really am, to help me see what I'm really like. Now understand, it's not for God's information. He already knows it's for my transformation. He knows who I am. He wants me to see for myself who I really am. And let's just be honest, sometimes the best way to know who you really are is when the pain comes. Somebody said Christians are like tea bags. You don't really know what flavor they are until you put them in hot water. I don't, that's true. I don't know. It's true for you. But that's why the Bible often refers to pain as refiner's fire. There's one occasion when, when God even said to the nation of Israel, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10, I have tested you in what? The furnace of affliction. He's talking about a refiner's fire. Well, you, you understand what ref, the finding, refining process is, right? You know what that is. You put the gold into the fire. You put the silver into the fire until it gets so hot that it finally melts and the impurities rise to the top. And then you pour off or scoop off the impurities. And what are you left with? Pure gold. That's what you're left with. And the simple truth is oftentimes it takes the heat of that fire to burn those impurities off. So i got to ask. You don't have to reply. Sit real still. But if you're feeling pain right now, what impurities is God trying to burn off? That may be why. Uh, that pain is operating, or maybe that's how he wants to use that pain in your life. It is amazing in the midst of pain how things like selfishness and impatience and materialism and ego and pride can get burned off. It's pretty amazing how pain has a way of popping the pride balloon, you know, when you're hurting. Simply put, pain exposes the real you 
to you. It burns away the masks that we wear. Is that true? Sure it is. Think about it for a minute. If you're doing good, everything's operating fine, boy, you put on your Sunday go to meet and close, and you're looking good, and you don't walk, you strut, you know, because you got it. You got it going on. And before you walk into a room, you turn it over to your friend, and you say, so <laughs> before we go in there, how am I looking? I'm looking good, ain't I? All right, you got it. Give that same person three days of the flu. <laughs> They don't comb their hair. They don't wash their face. They don't change clothes. They don't care how they smell. They just want to feel better. Am I right? If pain has a way of cutting through all of the facade and getting down to the heart of the matter. Now, hear me. I did not say quit taking showers and putting your makeup on before you come to church. I was saying that. But pain has this way of cutting through all that stuff. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I like the way the message paraphrases it. Tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Can I get an amen? And you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So again, i got to pause and ask the question for you to ponder when the pressure is on in your office, in home, when nobody's looking. What's revealed to you about who you are? What do you see in yourself in those times of pressure? God sometimes allows pain so that we can see ourselves, so that we'll know what's really going on inside. Israel, again, is a classic example of that. God set them free from Egyptian bondage and sent them on an 11-day hike across the wilderness to the promised land. It took them 40 years to make that hike. Why? Because God kept taking them through these tests, and they kept failing the test. So they'd have to go on another lap. And over and over and over again, they did laps through the desert, and all the while, God's just hoping they'll pass the test so they can make it into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, the Lord led you through the wilderness for all these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to find out how you would respond and whether or not you would really obey him. Again, not for his information, for theirs. But the reality is some of you are going through a desert right now. You're in an emotional desert and it feels like relationships have dried up or you're in, a, you're, you're in a security wilderness and finances have dried up or you're in a spiritual wilderness. You come to worship and it feels like everybody's engaging and you don't feel nothing. We all find ourselves in those moments. And when you're hurting like that, hear me, hear God's voice saying, this is a test. This is just a test. Do not adjust your sets. If it were an actual emergency, I would have told you just trying to help you see where you are in relationship to me. Will you trust me when you don't feel it? You just know who I am. That's what it comes down to. Do I have feel-good religion? Or do I have a genuine living, breathing, dynamic relationship with the God of the Bible whom I trust? God has a way of using pain to get me moving when I'm stuck. He has a way of using pain to redirect me when I'm going in a given direction or at a crossroads and I'm not sure what to do next. He has a way of using that to get us moving in the right direction. Sometimes he uses pain to reveal my character, to show me who I really am. The fourth way that the Bible often says he uses it is to protect me. Pain often is a protection 
from something worse, you know, from getting, from, from getting involved in something we shouldn't get involved in or, or you know, sometimes pain is a blessing in disguise. The, the best natural illustration I know of that is a fever. You've had kids, you know, when your child has a low-grade fever, the worst thing you can do is pump a lot of medicine in them. Sometimes the best thing to do is just let the fever take its course. And all the mamas in the house said, that's true. What's the fever doing? It's burning off some kind of infection. It's burning off some kind of bacteria. And so, yeah, there's a point at which it gets to a certain level that it's too high or it stays on too long and you've got to do something about it and you get meds involved and doctors involved. But in a low-grade fever for a certain period of time, you just let it do its job. Even though your child feels lethargic and it breaks your heart to see him feeling the way they are because the fever is a way to burn off the stuff that needs to be dealt with. Well, the same thing's true with emotional pain. You find yourself feeling depressed or resentful or worried or apathetic or hostile, any of those kind of stuff. It just means something's out of whack. Let God work in you because he may well be protecting you from continuing on the journey you're on uh, and, and, and to take you to a better place. So here, here's the bottom line. When you find yourself hurting, instead of getting mad at God, instead of blaming God, instead of saying, God, why did you do this to me? Say, God, what are you trying to do? I understand who you are. I understand you have this amazing way of working everything into a pattern for good in my life and to help me become more like Jesus Christ. I want to cooperate with what you're doing. So what are you doing? Are you trying to get me moving? Are you trying to get me to change direction? Are you trying to show me something about me? Are you protecting me from something that if I keep going the way I am, I'm going to wind up in trouble? Don't ask him why. You know why. Because he loves you. He's a loving heavenly father who loves you. That's what loving parents do. Ask what? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to teach? What are you trying to show me in my life? life. Again, classic example from Scripture is Joseph and the coat of many colors. You know, Joseph was, uh, was the young son uh, who uh, went to his brothers and said, God's given me a dream, and one day you're all going to bow down to me. They didn't like that very much, and so they plotted to kill him. They finally decided they'd sell him into slavery. He became a slave, landed in a pretty good situation, wound up getting in trouble for nothing he'd ever done, wound up in jail. The guys he met in jail ultimately betrayed him, and so I don't know how long it went on, but for years Joseph found himself getting hit from every angle, one after the other, after the other, after the other. I don't know if Joseph understood what was going on while it was going on, but I know he maintained his integrity and his faith during it. So the result is that ultimately he was at the right place at the right time in the right position for God to use him to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh then made him second in command of the most powerful nation on the earth at the time, and he saved Egypt from the famine and Israel from the famine, and his own brothers from the famine that came because he trusted God even when it didn't look like life was working. And ultimately, when he was reunited with his brothers, here's the words he said to them, Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. I know that God has this way of using pain, no matter who made the choices that created the, the consequence, God never wastes a hurt. He has a way of using the pain to get me moving, to direct me in the right direction, to show, reveal my character to me, 
to protect me from something that could be worse. And there's a fifth way that kind of summarizes it all, and that is God uses pain to mature me. Remember I mentioned a moment ago that the greatest dreams often come out of our deepest hurts? Well, the truth is the bigger the dream, the higher the level of maturity you need for that dream to become true. Does that make sense? Put it this way. The bigger the tree, the deeper the root system has to be. The taller the building, the stronger the foundation has to be. Some of you saw on Facebook that we finally started our house, so you're stuck with me. I'm building a house now. We're going to live here. Okay? Uh, but they're laying the foundation for it. And, and as the blocks started coming up, I found myself curious. I've been a carpenter most of my life, and so I understand a lot about carpentry, but I'd never laid a foundation before. And so I'm watching the brick mason work, and I said, I know there's a reason for it, but help me to understand why does that part of the house have 8-inch block and this part has 4-inch block and that part has double wall block and this has single wall block. What's the deal? He said, well, that part of the house is two-story and this part of the house is one-story. Make sense? So the higher the building, the stronger the foundation has to be in order to carry the load. Well, the greater the dream God's put in your heart, the more maturity you have to have in order for that dream to become a reality. So here's, here's what I'm going to say, and I'm going to wrap this up, okay? Let's put this in our context as a church family. The dream that God has put in the hearts of we, the bridge family, is phenomenal. It is beyond any of us or frankly, all of us with all of our collective abilities. It's only God can make that happen. But he uses those people who cooperate with him in the healing process to accomplish it. If you don't know what that is, go out there to the lobby. There's signs on the wall, multiply and mature. We see more people coming to Christ, multiplying than ever before. We see deeper levels of maturity in this house than ever before. The next sermon series after we finish fake news is all about the maturing process and how do we know if we're maturing and where are we in the maturing uh, uh, stages of the maturing process. But again, here's what I want you to hear. Pastor Andy or one of our pastoral staff walks out here every Sunday morning and they say, would you complete a Connect card? Tell us that you're here, and if you've got a prayer request, write it on that card. Well, I don't know if you know what happens behind the scenes, but those cards get typed up. All those prayer requests get typed up, and they get shared with the staff and with the prayer team, people that we trust to handle these things with discretion, and they pray for you, and we pray for you. We read through those things, and we pray, and we agonize with you that God's going to work in your life and do amazing kind of things. Back there, the prayer wall, all of those are prayers that people are writing and putting in the wall, and our staff meetings, sometimes on Monday mornings, we meet every Monday morning for prayer. Sometimes we'll just come to the wall and we just pray over that wall. We're praying that God will work in your lives. And so when we say, uh, share with us what's going on, we are incredibly honored when you trust us with what's really going on in your lives so that we can pray for you. And here's, But again, here's what I want you to hear me say. I'm not glad for the pain that you experience. Of course not. I'm saddened by the pain that we experience. I just know that we live on earth. This isn't heaven yet. We're still here. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So here's what I need you to hear. When I get excited is when somebody emails back or somebody writes a note back or somebody writes on their Connect card back and said, while I was going through it, I didn't understand. But now as I look back on it, I see what God was doing in my life. And that's when I changed things that I needed to change for a long time. That's when I learned things that I never would have learned any other way. That's when I began to do things differently than I'd ever done it before. God 
got my attention with that heart attack. God got my attention with that relational breakup. God my, got my attention with that painful experience. And out of that, I'm becoming who God made me to be. I'm not glad for the pain, but I sure am glad for the production, for what's produced out of it when you cooperate with him. Because here's what I need you to hear me say. I keep saying this, but here we're coming down to it. You ready? The bridge is a hospital for the hurting. Who are the doctors and nurses in our hospital? Look at somebody and say, he's talking about us. Look at somebody and say, he's talking about us. We are the doctors and nurses in this hospital. Well, who are the most effective doctors and nurses? They are the wounded healers among us who, having come through a painful experience, have have grown, matured, been directed, learned about themselves, made changes they needed to make, and matured to the place that they are the spiritual mamas and daddies that help the spiritual babies among us to grow up. And so when I read those things, I get excited because we got another wounded healer. We got another doctor. We got another nurse. We got another health care provider in this hospital for the hurting, which means that we can take a step further toward that multiply and mature vision that God has put in our hearts. James 1 4, for when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems. Then you'll be ready for anything. Strong in character, full and complete. What breaks my heart is when I see people going through pain, and, but they believe they can have the product without the process. They come to a place like this, and they hear the music, and they think it's wonderful, and they love it, and they see the friendliness, and they say, those people are really nice, and they hear the preaching, and they say, boy, that guy makes sense. He's got a microphone in my living room, but let trouble come, and they don't cooperate with God. In fact, they get mad at us for whatever it is that's going on in their lives. So they get mad at one of you for something you did or didn't do or said or didn't say. Or, it's just, and it breaks my heart because I know what's going on is that, is that they're not going to gain from the benefit of how God wants to use pain in our lives. And they're setting themselves up for the lie that time heals all wounds. And one day they will reemerge going, man, I'm, still, I'm just stuck. And I don't want to be stuck. And I'll say, congratulations, let's do this God's way. Let's deal with the issues. Let's learn, let's grow, let's get better together. Because time doesn't heal all wounds. The truth is, it takes time for wounds to heal. But they only heal when we cooperate with what God wants to do in our lives. The way the message paraphrases James 1.4, so don't. Try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you will become mature and well-developed. As your pastor, I, I, I relate to the Apostle Paul. Sometimes he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, and he challenged them, and it was a hard word. I mean, he really challenged them with some things and apparently hurt their feelings pretty badly, and they apparently got word back to him that they were hurt pretty badly because when he wrote 2 Corinthians, his second letter back to them, he referred to the pain. But here's what he said. He said, I'm not glad that I hurt you, but 2 Corinthians 7, 9, he said, now I'm glad I said it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain turned you to God. It was a good kind of sorrow you felt, the kind God wants his people to have, so that, this is huge, I'm going to close with this thought, but I want you to hear it, so that I need not come to you in 
harshness. Paul said, yeah, I wrote a hard letter. I challenged you in a number of areas, and I know it was hard to hear those challenges, but I didn't want to crank it up a notch. Did I mention Did I mention that God uses pain as a test? Well, here's what you need to know. God wants you to pass the test. Did I mention that you can change when you see the light or when you feel the heat? If you don't pass the test, here's how it works. He wants you to pass the test so badly that if you don't pass the test, you get to take the test again. Just like the children of Israel went back through the wilderness. Eight times, the whole generation had to die away except for Joshua and Caleb because they never passed the test. I don't want you to fail the test. Paul didn't want them to fail the test. He was relieved that they passed the test because he knew that God would crank the heat up a little bit more if they didn't get it the first time. So my plea to you today, regardless of where you are right now in your relationship with God, understand in this world you will have trouble. Pain is a reality of living on, on planet Earth. The only question is, what will we do with that pain? Will we anesthetize, self-medicate, run from? Will we falsely believe that somehow time heals wounds? Or will we recognize that we serve a God who never wastes a hurt and will use it into a pattern for good in our lives if we will give it to him? I'm begging you today, and I'll shut up, I promise. Give him your heart. And give him your hurts. You can trust him with both. Let's pray. Father, we know that these kinds of topics cut to the core of our lives. For me, for everyone in this room, we've endured the pain of living in a sin-cursed world. We know that you could take freedom of choice away and you could set in motion that everything happens according to your will and your way. And one day you're going to. One day you're just going to call it and you'll establish your kingdom. But for now on this earth, freedom of choice reigns. The result is often pain. So in the quietness of this moment, I just simply ask that each of us not only acknowledge that reality, but commit to give you our hurts and our hearts. Trust that you'll work it into a pattern for good just because we loved you back. And in the process, you'll make us a little more like Jesus. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm not going to keep you, but I want you to pray with me. Pray in your own words if you like, but let your prayer go something like this. Lord, I'm hurting, but I don't want to waste this hurt any more than you want me to. So if I'm stuck and you want me to get moving, show me. My answer is yes. If I'm headed in the wrong direction and you want to redirect me, show me. My answer is yes. If I'm at a crossroads and I'm not sure which way to go, show me the way to go. I will follow you. There's something in me that only pain will reveal Then I submit to refiner's fire so that I can come out pure gold. 
there's some way that you want to use this pain to protect me and position me for what you have in mind for me, I submit to you. Ultimately, Lord, I want to be like Jesus. So help me to mature and use these painful experiences of my life to move me closer to you, not further away. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying across this room and frankly across the planet online. I pray that you're speaking that truth into our hearts and letting us know how much you love us and how you want to use the pain that we experience for good in our lives. Thank you for being that kind of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We have older workers that are making their way to the front of the church right now after the service. They would love to pray with you. And so don't go out those doors. Come back here and let them pray with you. Maybe you've got a physical healing needed or an emotional healing or whatever it is. If you're hurting, please let them pray with you this morning. If you're a first-time guest, stop by the VIP table. We've got to thank you for coming gift. We'd love to put it in your hands. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege now of having been in your house, for hearing your word. I pray that we would go from this place walking in truth. This week in Fourth of July holidays with so many of us traveling and having family gatherings, I pray blessing over our nation. Remind us blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And as we celebrate uh, our, our nation's independence, I pray that you remind us that it's independence that was paid for with a high price. I thank you in advance for the way you're going to give us uh, that privilege to be more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. See you guys next Sunday.